Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show. I'm your host, George Ellick, and today we are talking golf. We're talking major tournament golf. It is the 2021 PGA Championship preview, and I'm joined by two of the very best golf tipsters in the game, in my opinion, and I think most others as well. We've got Odds Checker's very own Niall Lyons as ever, and Sporting Life's Ben Coley too. And, and guys, what I love about golf Twitter and golf tipsters, in other games you have tips to seemingly getting quite you know facing off against each other there's a beautiful sense of community within the golf tipster um group and you guys have both been banging in the winners and congratulating each other about that too so it's been an all right couple of months yeah it's been good hasn't it i mean i don't know i can't speak for other sports but um it's partly why i always prefer you know golf betting to, to dfs is that you don't um and by that i don't mean the furniture store um daily <laughs> fantasy sports you know what i'm talking about um but you, you don't need someone else to lose for you to win if we all back jordan spieth this week and he wins then we all win right so there's no reason you know i i someone once asked me why why i was pleased that dave tindler tipped a winner it's like five or six years ago it's like well he's my friend <laughs> at the fallout. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's obviously difficult when you're on a really bad run and someone else is banging in winners. I'm not going to lie about that. I think one of the, the themes of this year seems to be, I don't know, like everyone I read is having a good time. So long may it continue. Long may it continue. It, it suggests that the, you know, the smart work is getting rewards. So that's always a good thing. And Ben, you're obviously better friends. You're a better friend than a lot of my friends who, especially the ones who don't gamble, seem to always be quite annoyed whenever I win a bet, which is, um, which I never really appreciate too much. Um, but Niall, you've been having a good time of it as well. Yeah, all's good. Which is, uh, it's a great change from last year. And anyway, as Ben says, I think these things come in cycles almost. And, no matter how well you're going, you know, you know your bad run is only around the corner. You're just hoping it, it's not that soon around the corner anyway. Like <laughs> a couple of great winners this year, really happy to land Spieth. You know, some winners are better than others, and Land and Spieth come back win, and Higo in in uh, the Canary mm. Islands too is particularly sweet. So hopefully we'll get another one this weekend, as Ben says. Hopefully it's Spieth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sent me a picture of yourself in a in a bar last night with a couple of cocktails now, and hopefully it'll be the same again come uh, come next Monday. Well, after. it was the, it was the first time in a bar in about fourteen months since actually you were across here playing golf. Yeah, yeah. First time back in a bar having a drink, so I thought it would uh... unbelievable. After you and I came off the course at County Down fourteen months ago, who thought that'd be our last Tia Maria in a bar? Let's say. Um, well, I, I was in a soft play, gentlemen. So you know, thank you very much. <laughs> um, honestly, whoever I've made this joke already on Twitter, but whoever decided to open soft plays on Monday of a major week is a cruel, cruel person. <laughs> but there we are. I'm going again tomorrow, apparently. So there, there we are. Get it all in before Thursday. Um, that should work out okay. Now we'll get into the golf now. And before we do, just going to point the, the listeners and the viewers in the direction of the Odds Checker app. Do download the app for the very best prices, which we'll be talking uh, in the terms of here today. And also the very best place terms, you know, a range of place terms this weekend. Skybet sticking their neck out, going fifth, 11 places, whereas you've got other firms such as Sport Nation who are a quarter to five. So important, you know, to you know, look at both the best price options and also the place terms too. And the very best tipsters as well. Not all of them, of course. You can find Ben's tips over on Sporting Life, but Niall's tips on Odds Checker and plenty of other great tipsters there as well, such as the great man himself, Andy Holding, uh, for Everyday's Racing too. So do download the Odds Checker app. But let's talk about the golf. And it's going to be at Kiowa Island this weekend, Niall. And for those who, you know, I think a fair few people who watch this and listen to this will have a severe interest in major championship golf both in terms of their viewing and in terms of their betting and maybe don't follow it um the regular season too closely and with the masters you know we talk about augusta every year and even with the open championship you know people are probably more au fait with the courses kira island what kind of a challenge will this pose and what kind of a player are you looking for to tackle it well it's the longest uh yardage major championship course in history which Seems to be the trend these days. It seems to be a new record, you know, broken every year with these types of courses. Uh, albeit Cave Island is a fantastic track, and maybe not like some of the tracks in recent years that have, you know, really suited the bombers. Cave Island is a bit different. It's going to play anything up to towards seven thousand nine hundred yards, which is really a silly yardage. It might not play as long, and we know the PGA like to uh, have two or three tee boxes on each hole so they can tinker with the yardage on any 
given day, depending on how difficult maybe they they want to set it up. So it's a long course. Uh, we last seen it back in 2012 for the PGA. It held the Ryder Cup in 1981. Uh, but we last remember it for the 2012 PGA where Rory McIlroy won and he won it uh, quite easily in the end. <laughs> On the but, snap. Uh, it was rain-soaked back then. It was soft. It suited McIlroy. I think we'll see slightly different conditions this year. Uh, the move, uh, obviously that was played in August back in 2012. It's moving to May now. Uh, I think we'll see it uh, play slightly tougher just because of the winds. I think we'll, the wind will be a bit more of a factor than it was back in 2012. It's on the coast. Uh, it's slightly lengthy, and you know certainly the 2012 leaderboard would suggest uh, that there's a links field to it. You know, McIlroy obviously won it. You've got Poulter and Rose who were in the top ten. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking towards. Those guys who have a good record on links. So it's obviously my main area of attention re really is the profiles of PGA champions. Obviously, we've got a lot of first time major winners in the last uh, couple of decades, but uh, the PGA has welcomed, welcomed many first time winners down the years, and there's a fair chance it'll be another one this week. Uh, plus, Ballon Grass is another uh, big talking point this week, whether you put that much importance on it or not, they don't play many events on Pasbalan grass in Mexico, Puerto Rico on the, on the uh, PGA Tour and, and the Saudi Open, which has been held the last couple of years, and in Qatar as well in the European Open. So we, there's not a lot uh, of stats to go on with regarding that, but nevertheless, it, it could be a positive for your golfer. So uh, whether the, the big thing is the yard is whether it'll play, you know, at the end of the week, we'll probably be saying, yeah, it suited the Bombers, because that's really what we usually end up saying, especially on these long golf courses. So I'd be surprised if probably one of the longest in the game aren't featuring on Sunday evening. Yeah, I mean, I, I did read that at the tips, it's the longest, but I think we've got six tees per hole, haven't they, to choose from. So kind of some thinking that they could be creative with where they put the tees um, day by day. And, and it's interesting you mentioned the profile of recent PGA winners. I mean, it Growing up following golf, I always used to think this was a major that would throw up probably the, the surprise winner. But you look at previous champions, you know, Morikawa last season, back-to-back -back Kepka before that, Justin Thomas getting off the mark in 2017, then back to 2015, Jason Day at the top of his game, Rory as well in 2014, Jimmy Walker, the only one in that list who kind of bucks the trend, I guess, of being world-class golfers on the ascendancy, winning major tournaments pretty early in their major tournament career. Ben, what, what kind of, I mean... We've heard what Niall's looking for here. Are, are you focusing more on the test that Kiowa provides or are you looking for somebody who fits that PGA champion um, profile? Yeah, more the former. I, I think the course is is the best place to start. It sounds obvious. I, I do think, you know, it's a Lynx-style test. It is exposed. It will, I, I think even a 10-mile-per-hour win there is, is enough to, to keep them honest. If you go back to uh, 2012 on the Friday, I think it blew 25 miles an hour and one player broke 70. Mm. Uh, that was Vijay Singh, a spectacular round of golf. And um, if we do get that level of carnage, I kind of think, you know, length is all well and good, but um, you've got to keep it on the planet, obviously. But the other thing is that it, it's not necessarily a course where everything sets up obviously and you, you a to b right you stand on that tee on on most of these par fours and you have a choice of how much you want to take on and um, so the bombers can do that but they've got to execute it and there will be those just just because you can hit it three three thirty there will be those who decide to hit a three wood who decide to maybe play a little bit more conservative at times so i, I don't think it'll be say a repeat of beth page two years ago which was kepka dj you know uh, it just bombs away, really. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll get that. I hope not, because if we do, I probably haven't got the winner um, <laughs> because I've I've only got one really big hitter in, in my team. Um, and if we do get just a big hitter packed leaderboard, I hope that they, they realise that they're, they're not really going about things the right way. That's a wider point, but I think... Uh, you know, the best thing they could do to Kira Island is make sure those greens are firm and push up a few tees. And then it gets, that's really open to anybody winning. 
And, and I want to feel like Kevin Kisner can win this. I want to feel like <laughs> Zach Johnson could win this, right? I don't want to feel like, okay, it'll be Bryson or it'll be DJ. Or it'll be, if there is a shock, it's going to be Cameron Champ. I, I think the more golfers and a feature of a lot of PGA championships maybe 10 years ago was that really you felt that anyone could win. Um, and you did get a nice mix of champions. And we had that renewal that Jason Duffner won, which was probably the other way, where if you didn't hit it straight, you, you really had a little chance. Um, in terms of the profile of winners, I think a lot of it is about the moment. Um, you know, we probably had more surprising major winners in that sort of post-2008 US Open, pre-emergence of Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson as a as a global force, if you like. Um, there was that gap where Rory took advantage and won four, but where also you did get some guys who you wouldn't necessarily expect to go and win another major. Right now, it feels like we're back to the very elite dominating. Um, and I don't think anybody would be that surprised. It's very rare for someone outside the top 50 in the world to win a major championship regardless. So the winner will be, I expect, in, in, in some ways obvious. Um, but for me, I'd rather focus on guys who've played well on exposed courses, um, certainly in the Open Championship where the grass is slower. Um, than, than worrying too much about whether you can carry it 350. Well, if Kevin Kisner's listening, um, a, a word of, of optimism for him as well. I mean, going back to the 1997 and 2003 World Cups that were held at Kiowa Island, Podrick Harrington and, uh, and Paul McGinley won the 97 World Cup and Trevor Immelman and, and Rory Sabatini won the 2003 World Cup. Now, I have absolutely no idea how the course was set up those years compared to what it'll be like this weekend. But, you know, a couple of... Um, and not the biggest hitters there coming up trumps at Kiowa. So a word of optimism may be there. We'll get into the golfers now. And I should say that for this podcast and video, great to have Ben and Nile here, but this is in no way a substitute for their brilliant columns, which anybody listening to this and, and enjoying what they're saying should go and read because there's so much detail in there, way beyond um, just who they are backing. And Nile even gets a, a nice slide digger, Elon Musk in. So must reading, must reading for anybody, anybody there. And we'll start at the top of the market. What we're going to do is we're going to go through the kind of big name players, I guess, at the top end of the market who deserve um, a bit of chat that you guys haven't tipped up. But then we'll go through your tips very quickly and then look at a couple of sub-markets and players that you think are, are too short a price. I think Victor Hovland's name might come up towards the end of this podcast. Uh, but we'll start with Rory McIlroy, who is the 11-1 to favourite. No, I'll, I'll give you first run on your compatriot here. Um, 11 to 1 best price. Best place terms you're getting for that 11 to 1 is with William Hill, who are nine. As you mentioned, this is a a, a return to a, a place where he enjoyed one of the finest moments of his career. And he comes here off the back of finally getting a, a, a first win under his belt for, for a long time. Do you think he it is right that he is installed at the top of the market? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh you know, he's obviously coming back to a course he's won before, and then you know, just a few weeks ago at, the, at Wales Fargo, he, he got his third victory at Quail Hollow. So he likes going back to courses that he's played well on before, and it's mainly the it's mainly the story off the golf course which uh, is the huge positive for McIlroy at the minute. Uh, he was obviously in the last number of months he's been in a difficult position but you know as Ben has rightly pointed out plenty of times you know he, he never he never fell that far down the world rankings or that that was considered a proper crisis you know uh compared to success in the past you know possibly but uh it was never that big of a crisis and you know he showed just he showed his class at Quail Hollow how he can just turn up and win an event you know I, th I, th I think obviously the work with Pete Khan will help to change I think he needed a change uh, but m more importantly, probably the work with Bob Rotello would be the most important aspect of the whole thing. Uh, McElroy obviously down the years has struggled mentally on the golf course. We we've seen it at times. Uh, we obviously seen a meltdown in the Masters, but there's been other occasions where, uh, you know, he's maybe just not quite scored as well as what he should have simply because of the way he's been thinking. And yeah, he was back to. Probably nowhere near his best when he won, won at Quail Hollow a couple of weeks ago and he has a, another level to reach. And at Keogh Island, uh, he has, you know, if he puts well, you know, he's going to be a serious force because his long game will be in good nick. The, the thing is, I think, you know, obviously I mentioned, you know, longer hitters seem to have an advantage almost in every golf course these days. And it might not play out this week, 
But I would imagine there'll be a few bombers there at the top of the leaderboard come the weekend. But the important thing will be with the winds coming off the coast, I think there's going to be plenty of greens missed. And, you know, McElroy topped the scrambling stats back in 2012 when winning here. And that's probably the most important aspect of his win back then. And I wouldn't be surprised if it plays out again where we see the best short games win this week, which could be a bomber, it could be any type of golfer, to be fair. But if McElroy turns up and he puts well, uh, he must have every chance of, of winning the event. I think there's probably... The win at Quail Hollow was impressive. You know, Mac, he hadn't won in a while and it was great to see it. But the only reason why I strayed, maybe maybe towards Spieth as we'll get on to, is that, you know, there's a couple of golfers just playing slightly better than him, I would suggest, even though he deserves favouritism simply because he what, what he'd done here back in 2012. So, he, yeah, he deserves the jolly tag and there's certainly not many negatives surrounding him. Ben, you, you put McIlroy up at a much bigger price for the Masters. Um, and he was he was he near the shortlist here? I was hoping we wouldn't discuss that. Um, <laughs> look, when I, I put him up five times before the uh, up to and including the Masters, had a week off. He won at twenty to one, right? So that's yeah. the story of how McIlroy's gone. I'm not saying I don't think I'd have put him up at Quail Hollow. Um, obviously, you're trying to eliminate that because it's gone, and you have to assess everything as it is. But I, if you're looking for an excuse to to not go in again for the 10 to 1, 11 to 1 favorite, then then obviously I probably had a better one than most. Um, the other thing I would say is that for me personally, I I wanted to, I would have wanted to see him win at Quail Hollow because he was in, in top form from tee to green. And he wasn't. Um, you know, he produced some of his best putting numbers there um, for a long, long time since Bay Hill 2018, actually. Now, following Bay Hill in 2018, he was in the final group of the Masters. So Rory can take that as a springboard and the confidence oozes through that long game and all of a sudden the pieces are in place, right? Um, I, I definitely wouldn't deny that possibility, but I think his price would have changed. Winning at Quail Hollow makes him an 11-1 to 1 shot. Winning at Quail Hollow with a good tee to green game, for me, would have been a better foundation. And for that reason and that reason alone, I, I would leave him out. But as Niall has said, there's only ever going to be one favourite here um, once, once the final putt dropped on, on the, the 72nd hole of that tournament. A couple of others who are at the top end who you guys haven't put up, uh, who kind of fit the bill, I guess. Two big hitters, and certainly in, in Thomas's case, somebody who, whose chipping can be extraordinarily good. Uh, Justin Thomas and Bryson DeChambeau, both 16 to 1 here, Ben. Um, I guess neither come into this in sterling form, but as course fits, um, you know, it's, I guess it's hard to kind of point to any negatives in terms of the way that they could approach this course. Yeah, not hugely. Um, obviously, Thomas won on Sawgrass. Um, uh, what was it? Six weeks ago, Pete Dye designed some similarities. It's a different mm. looking course, but Pete Dye does like to ask these certain questions that make players feel uncomfortable. For example, the 18th hole at Sawgrass, right? You bail out down the right, you've got a really difficult approach shot. You go left, you're in water and you know, JT almost threw that event away by going in the water, but he was brave enough to take on the shot. He, he stood on the 18th tee with the lead and hit a hard draw um, towards the water. That's the sort of question you have to answer if you want to win at a Pete Dye course. And I think that will serve him well. Um, he was brilliant tee to green. I think it was at the, the Valspar. Um, so it's been really the putter that, that's held him back. I just don't necessarily have this as a perfect fit. I think when you start looking for players with form on those more exposed courses, um, on slower greens in, 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 in Britain, in Ireland in particular. You know, he played pretty well at Port Rush, but generally um, that's the one he's yet to really work out and it will be a slight negative. He's usually the player I like to side with um, in, in majors because he tends to be that bit bigger, but I think Augusta's a better fit. And he was disappointing there. You know, he got into a great position and he made a complete mess of the 13th hole on Saturday. And that's two Masters back-to-back where he's got right to where he wanted to be and he's made a mess of it. Um, I wouldn't dwell too much on that. I think he's a very strong player. You know, his win rate is incredible. But it's four years since he won a major and it might just be nagging away at him that he's he can go and win uh, at the players even with no problems at all. But in majors, he's got himself right in there into the top five and bang, something's gone wrong. So that's a bit of a flag. Um, Bryson, I'll let, I'll let Niall discuss at greater length. I think that he, he lacks a little subtlety. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's one dimensional by any means, uh, but he does lack a little subtlety. And if his iron play goes, um, that would be a worry. The other thing, I, I still have reservations around tight lies. Um, that's probably what has 
been his undoing at Augusta, not just on the greens, but with his approach shots um, and the, the nature of, of how the course have played. Now, Augusta is a lot faster, obviously, um, but but I don't think it's a coincidence he was so brilliant at winged foot where his brute strength out of the rough was a massive factor. So for me, Bryson is more likely to win the US Open next month at Torrey Pines where it'll be long, but it'll also be really mm. gnarly, thick, rough. Um, so he's definitely on the radar for that. I wouldn't mind him you know, finishing mid-pack here and perhaps getting a bigger prize if we can get 20s for the US Open. I don't think he'd be far away from my staking plan there. Not anything to add on those two? Yeah, I agree with Bryson. He's actually <clears throat> never really shown any form near coastal tracks, which is a bit of a worry. Uh, I think he will be suited by the length of the course, maybe, depending on how long it plays. But uh, I think we're going to have a lot of shots coming in from 200 yards plus, uh, which is probably a strength the longer the golf course, whether you're in the fairway or off. I, th- I think Bryson's one of his big strengths is, uh, you know, proximity basically from that kind of length. Uh, but I think he'll need a top-class short game as well. I think there's going to be plenty of greens missed by many players here just because of the wins and the length of the, length of the pro shots. So given the way he's played recently too, with the 55th at the Baron Nelson, 46th at the Masters, it just it doesn't particularly appeal to me uh, given you know how inconsistent he can be at times. I, you know, I always talk about him, him being a great bet these days on many occasions simply because he doesn't need to be anywhere near his best to contend. It, it's, it, you know, he's just got so much of an advantage off the tee, but I just don't think that plays out this week. In terms of Thomas, I think, you know, of the top five or six in the market, he, he's the one I'd slightly be worried about come Sunday evening that we might kick ourselves that we weren't really considering. I, I just think, you know, obviously he won one of the biggest events of the year at Sawgrass, and then his last couple of appearances, 26th at Quail Hollow, he lost strokes on the greens. I mean, he was 13th at the Valspar, losing six and a half strokes across the week in the greens, which is 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 always a sign. And you know, Ben often writes about it as well as myself. It's a sign to back a golfer whenever they're performing well. And having good finishes, but losing so many strokes in the greens because an upturn in the greens can just happen in a flash. So, for me, I think he's actually a danger, Justin Thomas. Uh, but again, he just didn't quite fit fit the profile of the course to make the staking plan. Well, a few others um, who kind of fall into what Nile was saying about first time winners follow these guys in the market. We're not going to talk about them because we'll get onto the picks. But you've got <clears throat> Xander Shoffley at uh, twenty two to one. Victor Hovland, 22 to 1. Daniel Berger, 30 to 1. Of course, Tony Finau, 40 to 1. Patrick Cantley, 45 to 1. And then somebody who certainly hasn't or isn't looking for their first major, but Brooks Kepka comes in here at 45 to 1. Uh, but we'll look at your picks now. And, and if there's any you want to discuss on those guys, we'll get there later. Um, but Niall, we'll start with you. And I guess you've got two headline picks of sorts, two that you're staking the most on. Uh, but we'll start with the one towards the top of the market uh three points for on john ram at uh 15 to 1 it was for the 14 to 1 now best price uh for ram there he comes into this second favorite again looking for his first major what appeals to to you about his chances this weekend i understand he's he's a risky pick this week simply because you know he's not entirely on top of his game but uh i don't know how many i didn't get reading everybody's preview last week but I don't know how many previews I've read down the years, the week before a major, where we talk about maybe steering clear of the top of the market because these guys are fine-tuning their game for a major championship. And then when they have a bad finish, you know, or, or a, a mediocre finish like Ram did last week, 34th, you can't really use that as a negative whenever we've talked before about them fine-tuning the game. That being said, he did miss a cut on his previous start, so there's a possibility that he actually isn't anywhere near his best. But he finished 13th at Phoenix and 5th the Genesis this year, both losing strokes in the greens. 9th at Sawgrass, 7th at Torrey Pines. The last two Masters, he's finished 5th and 7th. Always a big pointer to me looking at the previous majors. Uh, I'd be very unhappy if I studied a major championship blindly, not looking at the last couple of major results and then go 
go to those results and the and the guys that I've got on my shortlist have not finished well in a previous in, in one of the one or two previous majors. I think it's a huge pointer towards a winner of the, of the next event. But more importantly, the reason why he made the staking list the staking list was just because of, of the profile of the course. Uh, he's obviously a, a fantastic record on links, two wins in, in La Hinch and Port Stewart. Uh, slow open greens, as Ben's talked about before, being a profile for this event. Uh, I mean, he's obviously third in the world, and I just think it's not going to be long before he wins one of these. And whether he's on top of his game or not, I'm happy to take around, you know, the 14, 16 to 1 mark. And I think, you know, McElroy, before he won this in 2012, he finished 60th in the Open two weeks before, two weeks previous to that. And we know McElroy has, you know, weaknesses on open tracks, to be fair. But uh, Poulter was right up there. He finished 29th in the Bridgestone the week before. And there was a couple of others, Bradley and all. He obviously won the Bridgestone the week before and finished in the top three of KY in 2012. So... There's, two, there's a couple of ways of looking at it, but I don't consider his last couple of results a huge negative. And uh, I just think that the course should really suit his game and I'm prepared to take the chance. He's the, he's the one that I would be worried, slightly worried about a mistaken plan, one of the more riskier ones, despite the price of even back in a, you know, a 200 to one shot. But uh, of the, he, he's just the pick of the bunch in terms of a, a course fit for me. Yeah, John Rahm there, 14 to 1 for Niall, three points win. Next in the market is Jordan Spieth, and you've both put up Jordan Spieth this uh, weekend. But we'll start with Ben because he's the headline selection, five points win at 16 to 1. Niall, don't panic, I'll come to you. You'll be able to talk about your beloved Jordan in a second. But Ben, um, what is it about? I mean, stupid question. I was about to say, what is it about Spieth's chances this week that you like? But I mean, anybody who's followed the goal for the last. Two, two or three months, it's impossible not to like his chances going into any event. Yeah, I think the the obvious stuff is all there. Seven top 15s in his last eight starts. I think it would have been eight, but he at Sawgrasses around the green stats were just abysmal. Um, you know, he, he must have done something great. I didn't really follow his progress closely that week. I was more fixed on on JT, but they're totally anomalous. They don't mean anything. And, and they kept him down the leaderboard. Otherwise, he's been a mainstay of leaderboards right back since Phoenix. When we had this conversation at the Masters, obviously... Um, Nyla put him up in Texas where he won and, and stuck with him and was rewarded with third place. I think I just needed to see a bit more. Um, and I don't think we can underestimate the value of being in the mix at the Masters. I know he didn't play a, as he'd have liked to on the Sunday, but again, that's just that's competitive rust, right? The reason he was able to win in Texas the way he did was that the, the layers of the weeks before, it, it was probably unlikely. Um, and I think we'd have said it ahead of the final round of the Phoenix Open. Do you think Jordan Spieth will win today? I think most of us would have said, probably not. This is great. It's encouraging. But, you know, is is, is the little stress points in his game and his swing are going to be really tested under this pressure of the final group. Um, and he might just come unstuck. And And I think it works in the same way on a different level in majors. He's now had that feeling again. He had a chance to win a major for the first time really uh, since 2018. I think, you know, I think he was third at um, Beth Page, wasn't he? But behind a runaway two at the top of the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important that he's done that again. And as Niall alluded to, one of the best clues to any major winner, um, Colin Morikawa notwithstanding, um, is that they've been in the mix um, in a recent major. And I do think we should ring fence the, the 2020 PGA as a, a fairly unique tournament. Of course, they hadn't used in a while, but more to the point, no crowds and just a, a strange feeling around that event to take nothing away from Morikawa. But I'll give you just the the, the extra sort of flourish for me was that um, I was in uh, the the press conference, Jordan Speed at the 2019 Open Championship at Port Rush, and he spoke at some length about how the course reminded him of Birkdale, where he won the 2017 Open. Wow. What, he, what he said in that press conference was um, this is a Lynx course, but you still have to play it through the air. You can't you can't run it up like you can at Carnoustie and St Andrews. It's a Lynx course that you, you have to attack through the air, and that's unique to Port Rush and Birkdale, in his opinion. Well, if you read about Kiowa Island, everyone will say it's a Lynx-like course, but you've got to play it through the air. Everyone said it in 2012. You can't run the ball up to these greens because they're raised, uh, as are many of the greens at Port Rush. Um, 
I think that makes it a really interesting fit for him. And then if you look at a comparable Pete Dye course, I would say Whistling Straits is probably the obvious one uh, by the shores of Lake Michigan. Um, certainly uh, vulnerable to the wind, that little bit longer than courses like Sawgrass or River Highlands, where he has won, by the way. Um, so more in keeping with with that. And, and he was second there to Jason Day in 2015, uh, when very much at the, the top of his game. Obviously, he's in pursuit of the career, career Grand Slam, but uh, not for a second do I worry about that. You know, we, I think we're talking about probably mentally the best golfer of his generation. Um, I think, yeah, okay, 2016 at Augusta happened, but, uh, you know, to, to then go and win the Open at 2017 when he'd hit a ball onto the, the driving range, <laughs> um, you know, he's got extraordinary poise and, and resolve and he's got a really great relationship with Michael Greller. And I think a lot of this week will, will come down to that. And it's something... You know, we probably haven't got time to talk about it, but at the time, 2012, Rory and JP Fitzgerald were a really great combination. Um, and I think it, it definitely helps a course where, you know, uh, you have got to be really making difficult decisions on the tee and committing to them. And golfers are going to need to hear that in their ear. They're going to need to hear this is the right shot. Um, now go and hit it. And he'll get that from Grella. Um, well, he'll tell Grella it's the right shot, I guess. But yeah, loads <laughs> of reasons to like him. But he's 16 to 1 versus 12s at Augusta. And I'm really, really happy with that price. I think he's, a, you know, for me, the, the three most likely winners are Rory, Spieth and DJ. Uh, and I took the two biggest prices out of those three. So Jordan Spieth there for Ben. And Niall, you of course, agree with him. You've put up Spieth, a three-point win. Uh, I think you nicked the last bit of 18-1 to one on, on Monday evening, took Ben's price a bit there. Um, anything? Have you got anything to add to that glowing uh, reference for, for Jordan Spieth's chances on the weekend? No, nothing much to add. Only that he's... I need to be on whenever he wins the Grand Slam. <laughs> one of the main reasons why we have to bet and we'll all be celebrating on the evening. I love the idea of somebody who's, who's read your column. Is that how the absolute nudges on Spieth and look, listens to this says, yeah, i just got to be on. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, but I think luckily for you, Ben's made the, the case pretty well. And on your column, you do too. And Ben, you, you alluded there to Dustin Johnson. So I'll come back to you quickly now. And I must say, when I flicked through the market um, on Sunday, looking at the prices, I was pretty surprised, to, given, given what little I know about Keira Island, pretty surprised to see... DJ sitting at about the 20 to 1 mark. He's now 18 to 1, and you've put him up three points win for your, your second tip. Yeah, I, I think he's the wrong price. It's it's really as simple as that. I can give you all the underlying reasons, but I think he's the wrong price. And and I think one of the things, I guess, almost the reverse of the, the reasons I just have slight doubts about McElroy. Um, you know, DJ hasn't played particularly well in his two starts since missing the cut at the Masters, which, by the way, you know, defending champions always play poorly at the Masters, almost. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's he's drove the ball brilliantly, um, you know, absolutely top class off the tee, first and third in his two starts. And his approach play was better last time. So um, I, I couldn't really understand the drift. I mean, he was seven to one in places for this in December. He's played nine times since and he has won. Um, and his form has definitely stepped down on last year. Uh, but last summer, he drifted to 30 to 1. And he won the Travellers on a Pete Dye course. His Pete Dye form is exceptional. Also won at Crooked Stick. Um, should have won at Whistling Straits in 2010, where he was he was very hard done by. Um, obviously, if it plays long, then, then great. Um, and for me, I thought there was too much worry about um, his form, but also the fact that he withdrew last week in Texas, um, citing a knee problem. I think it's nonsense. I think there was videos of him jumping off his yacht days before that um uh, and he was at keir island on saturday i think he played 18 holes on saturday so if if his knee was bothering him why is he doing that he doesn't need to spend five days preparing for a major um certainly that's more than he usually would so you know he's got he's got claude Harmon there to, to hopefully iron out any little weaknesses his short game is going to have to improve but if it does 20 to 1 about the world number one winning the pga championship at a course which will suit him uh, will look like an astonishing price. Um, and I'm more than happy to. He's the one of my selections. There is no chance on Monday I regret putting up DJ. Um, whatever, you missed the cut. I don't care. He's 20 to 1. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> um, hopefully he, he delivers, but he's, he's a value play. Yeah, 20 to 1. Long gone after Ben's column went out, unsurprisingly, but 18 to 1 still about with uh, Bet365, Hills, plenty of others, Bet Victor, Unibet, Bet Fred, and a couple more too. Um, now, Jordan Spieth wasn't the only selection that you two knocked your head together and came out with the same answer. Mark Leishman, another Nile, and he carries the most 
weight for you on his shoulders uh, this weekend. 2.5 points each way. You put Leishman up at 60 to 1 with Paddy Power. That's uh, sorry with, with Skybet. That is 11 places. Now best price 66 to 1 with Bet Victor 55s for the for the big place terms as well. And I guess another guy who really fits that bill of a guy who's been knocking on the door to get that first major for a long time now. And of course, it should fit as well. Yeah, he has he has that perfect profile for a PGA winner. Uh, he's been he's been a major weight, winner in the waiting, really hasn't he? This last five or six years, he's won the best tournaments basically in the world. Bay Hill, Torrey Pines, he won the Ned Bank in the European Tour as well. Another course that you really have to think your way around. Uh, he ticks the links box, which you know we're both really looking to, to this week. Top five at Royal Liverpool and obviously beating in a playoff at St Andrews. Uh, he was fifth pulling in Texas, which was a great sign. Lost strokes, Tita Green still finished in the top 20. Uh, that's another great sign. I, I like finding players who are losing strokes in a, in, in a certain department he- heading to a tournament like this that, that have got room for improvement. I was lucky enough to have a chat with Duncan Carey, who is a, uh, helps, but he works quite closely with Leishman on strategy and, and, and data and analytics and those kind of things. And he was saying that the main reason for the improvement is is his putting within from six to ten feet. He said they're working on a few other aspects of his game, but mainly the upturn in his game in the in the last short while has been that area from six to ten feet, which is a great sign heading to a major. You know, you don't you don't win major championships without holding those kind of putts and those power putts uh, over the course of the week to to keep momentum going. So obviously he contended in the Masters, which is another box ticked. Uh, he won in Zurich uh, next time out uh, alongside uh, his countryman uh, Cameron Smith, who I've also backed this week. But everything points towards a big Leishman performance. And, you know, he's 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 just a major champion in the waiting. And, and this could be the moment. And he's sitting at a great price, having just won a couple of weeks ago. Whether you put much weight on that being a team event or not, they played well together. And, yeah, he's, he's just sitting at a lovely, lovely price as well. Yeah, Ben, you agree clearly. You put him up one point each way as well. Yeah, um, I, I like him a lot. Um, he's a Pete Dye winner at River Highlands as well. I think Niall mentioned some of those courses he's won on. Torrey Pines and Sun City in South Africa are massive courses as well. So while he isn't the longest, um, all he needs to do generally, Leishman, when he's at his best, is stay in the conversation from the tee. Um, he, he does have a wild drive in him. If he can avoid that, um, after that, he gets to work, and and when his his iron play has been great, um, his short game stats are poor. But I'm I, I have a theory that he's better off tight lies. He would say so, um, and I think that's that's significant. I I loved how he chipped um, at TPC Louisiana, another Pete Dye course where he won that team event a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, loads in his favour, I think. And um, you know, he said himself in a recent podcast, he loves this course. Um, he enjoyed it in 2012. I think he finished 27th at the time. It was his fifth or sixth major start, and it was the first time he cracked the top 30. He's come a long way since, um, and now is is one of those who nobody would be surprised if they they won a major. He's not as flashy as he is some of the other players you might find at that sort of price. A, a Joaquin Neiman and all his promise, and um, even a even a Paul Casey at the same sort of age, or older than Leishman, obviously. But he, he's rock solid, uh, underestimated, easy to underestimate, and I think he'll go well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Niall, a couple more for you, 1.5 each way selections. Tyrrell Hatton and Cameron Smith, talk us through those. Well, Tyrrell Hatton's four best tee to green performances in his career have come over the last 15 months. And I think uh, major winners like Hatton and, you know, are potential major winners, but, you know, guys like Molinari, who who, who won the, the Open a couple of years ago, he struck well the iron was hot. And I think... You know, it's going to be around this time. If Hatton's going to win a major, it's going to be within you know the next twelve to eighteen months. Uh, I thought one of the most talented performances of the season was actually going out in the final group with McElroy and Abu Dhabi. He was one back of McElroy, and you know he ended up winning the event by four shots. It was just an unbelievable performance. Tommy Fleetwood was in the group behind. Uh, he was he was right in the mix as well. He, you know he beat the best in the game that 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 day. It was just a huge performance, and you know. Then he, he uh, in his defence at, at Bay Hill earlier on in the year, he uh, he I think he finished twenty first, but he lost over four strokes in the greens. You know, we we could have been talking about a back to back Bay Hill champion had he managed to hold a few putts that week. So 
Uh, he's another one who fits the bill. He's got two uh, Alfred Dunhill links wins, which is which is a huge feather in his cap heading head to uh, KO Island. And you know he he was playing great stuff last year, but missed cuts in, in all the three majors. And I kind of stayed clear of him last year, and I thought maybe he wasn't ready. But I think the signs are. I thought I thought the performance in Aubrey Dalby going out with McIlroy was really telling. And I think if he gets in a position again, I think he could go on to win it. Uh, Cameron Smith, along the same lines as Leishman, I think he, he's maybe uh, a major champion in waiting. No, only that you know he hasn't had as long a career really as Leishman just yet. But uh, lately, you know, we were on him at triple figures when he finished second at the Masters to Dustin Johnson, and he's been all the rage ever since. And he, he's been playing great stuff. He's barely been out of the last, you know, the top ten in his last four or five events. Uh, he obviously won in Zurich, but. Uh, He's got just got such a great game for this. I think you know. I, I do think scrambling will become a big part of the, the conversation over the four days. And you know, he's one of the best in the game with the minute of getting up and down, holding crucial uh, power pots over the course of the week. He's got two PGA Australian PGA wins, which is absolutely massive for an Australian. Mm. You know, I know, and those courses are often exposed to wind as well. We've seen wind in those events down the years plenty of times. So. Uh, I think if he gets into contention, he can he can draw upon those two Australian wins as well. He obviously won on the, the Sony as well, which is by the sea. Everything you know points towards a, a, a big performance. He's maybe not a bigger price as, as you would hope. I did say in, in in the preview that I was slightly uncomfortable with the price I was backing with, but nevertheless, I think the profile wise and the way he's playing, he just he, he had to be included. Yeah. So current prices for those. To Till Hatton is best price now fifty five to one. That's a bet Victor, but you're looking at fifties or forty fives if you want the the juicy place terms. Cameron Smith forty five to one with Unibet who are seven places forty to one, three six five who are eights and Skybet who are eleven places thirty three to one. Smith forty to one. Hatton, uh, Till Hatton not the only Englishman in with a chance. Ben, hopefully Tommy Fleetwood can justify your support as well. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time I've put up Tommy for a major. He he actually had a chance to win this last year. I put him up at forties for that. Um, in the final round, uh, it's one of those you're following on shot tracker and what on earth happened there? He's he's made a, I think he made a double or a triple bogey at the sixth hole when he was two shots back. You know, right right alongside Morikawa, I think. In fact, I think Morikawa chipped in at the same hole to get things going. Um, and it turned out his caddy Ian Finnis later told me that uh, they lost the ball up a tree. Now, what can you do? You know, he missed his target by a yard, and the ball got stuck up a tree. So um, things didn't go get didn't go for him there. But he's been a regular major contender. Um, you know, you you throw in that with Shinnecock and with Aaron Hills, both of which he had a chance to win. Also, of course, Port Rush, where he was he was a distant second in the end to Shane Lowry, but um, certainly early in the in the final round, he was the the one who was uh, trying to trying to hunt Shane down and. And win his first major, and and I think he he's similar to Leishman in that regard. It, it's probably a little bit longer than I'd like since he won, um, and I, I do think it's fair to say that he's not been driving the ball as well as he can this year. Um, but he's been home, spent some time with the family, came back um, after the Masters for Quail Hollow, finished fourteenth. Um, really felt like he'd seen some good signs of progress there. And I, I was talking about the caddy thing. I, I don't want to overplay it, but I think there's a reason he's been so consistent in majors in particular. Um, I think him and his caddy, Ian, who is a tremendous player in his own right, are are diligent and prepare so, so well. And I think that's a lot of the battle. Um, And I think they'll be, they'll be absolutely licking their lips at this, you know, a coastal course with those race greens, the potential links to Port Rush and Birkdale, where Tommy grew up, um, is forming Abu Dhabi, where it's always windy, but also at the Golf National. I think if you look at those European players who are in the top 10 here in 2012, some surprise names like Peter Hansen and David Lynn, they've all got good form at the Golf National, where again, you've got to control your ball in the wind, and where again, you're asked some difficult questions, um, probably more a test of execution, but it's it's fairly similar to a Pete Dye course. So um, lots of things with with Tommy that I like and and for once we can have more than 50 um he's probably about 50 now but 50 to one and bigger with 11 places for a major championship Tommy Fleetwood always deserves a second glance and uh, I I have high hopes for him I think he can win a major another player who has won a major won an open championship tying into that Lynx form line I guess is Shane Lowry yeah, I, I probably followed him off a cliff a, a bit you know I was on him when he won the the open at 70 to one and um 
I, we all probably view those golfers a bit more favorably. I, I feel like I've got a decent handle on Shane. It's just not necessarily played out. I think generally, if you were to look at my record in putting him up, he plays well that week, you know, whether it's quite <laughs> enough to, to, to go on and win the tournament is a different matter, I suppose. Um, I like the improvement in his irons. I think if like Niall, I do think short game is going to be huge. I think around the greens when there's, when there are options, I, I, it's just an absolute pleasure to watch Shane. You know, he's he's different class. Um, the shots he can play, there is, there isn't one he can't play. You know, short of Phil Mickelson, it, you know, I could even argue, to be honest, he's better um, at some of the certainly the the more on the ground shots around the greens. So I think the course will set up really well for him, providing it's not too long. The length thing, he's he's won at Firestone, and that you know that's an absolute brute of a course on the scorecard. So um, I think he's one of those players um, who over his career will probably not win as often as his position in the market or even the world rankings would suggest he might. But when he does win, it'd be a big one. Um, Danny Willett, similar, you know, that sort of player. Um, Padraig Harrington, similar. Um, and I think Shane's got it in him to be a multiple major champion. Um, and I think he's he's in a really good place. So that's all a little bit tenuous and nothing really concrete in the stats. <laughs> but um, I, I just think if this does prove a, a windy scrambling test then then there aren't that many who i'd have further up uh, the list of in terms of ideal fits shane larry there um one point each way for ben uh, best price at the moment larry now is 80 to 1 with unibet and bet victor as short as 50s elsewhere um but it's 60 to 1 with 11 places um but as ever been clipped in a bit since ben's column went out and tommy fleetwood we've got at 66 to 1 best price as it stands uh, with a few shorter two a couple of big price picks now for the two of you Niall and I know that you're very excited with your biggest price selection he was my big pick big fancy for this tournament um, last year and gave me a, a quite an exciting couple of days before falling away pretty quickly hopefully he goes a few better for you uh, on Sunday yeah I, I... I've always really kind of stay clear of Thomas Peters in regards to major championships. A little because I think he's he's been slightly overrated down the years. I think there's been a lot of talk about what he's going to achieve in the game. It hasn't really played out. Uh, obviously, got into the Raider Cup team a number of years ago, and you know he played well there. But you know he he, he definitely hasn't won as much as what you thought he would, and what he probably thought he would as well. Uh, his last his last major effort was in the U.S. Open uh, last year. Was his last major outing. Uh, he finished twenty third, but he was second after day one. He shot sixty six in the first round at Wingsfoot, and he's capable of things like that in major yeah. championships. He, he sprung up before, and maybe he hasn't stayed the course over the weekend, but uh, he's very capable like that. the The big thing for me that I noticed was uh, before last week his appearance at the Baron Nelson. He played four events in a row uh, in Saudi, Puerto Rico, Qatar, and Punta Cana. All four events on Pospal and Grass, and I, I don't think that's—I don't think that's an accident. It has to be deliberate in his schedule when he knows that he's going to miss the Masters, and his, and his first major appearance of the year is going to be at KOA and that he that he has set up a schedule like that uh, to play those four Pospal events. Uh, he was third at, uh, in the, the Saudi Open the year before as well, which is on Pospal and Grass as well, uh, and as ever with. Thomas Peters, the putter is going to be the problem. But if he's putting those those four performances on the Spal and Grass in the last couple of months, he hasn't been out, outside the top fifteen. You know they haven't been in the, in the most strongest of fields, granted. But uh, the putter is usually a problem with him. And you know if he's going well enough on those courses on that grass, then I think that he's just worth chancing. He missed the cut last week at the Byron Nelson, but I think if the if the if that schedule was deliberate in, in preparation for KOA and he was always going to go to Byron Nelson anyway because he's been inactive for a while and you know some tournament golf would help but he missed the cut obviously but you know he gained three shots to the green even though in those two rounds last week that he missed the cut he just his putter was absolutely horrendous uh, which obviously can happen with Thomas Peters but I thought he was definitely at 200 to 1 250 I think was top price to start of the week I think he was definitely worth chancing and uh Maybe this is his time, and he's honed his schedule for this. And KMI Island could suit, you know. Obviously, the short game is an issue, but long game on 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 his day, he's he's certainly one of the best Europeans. Yeah, one point two five points each way. Peter's there, two hundred to one, still around with a few firms: three six five, Mansion Bet, Bet Fred, Ten Bet, and Bet Victor. 
And to sign off your final selection, it's been a good podcast and preview for Australians. We've had Cameron Smith, we've had Mark Leishman, and now Ben, Matt Jones for you at a big price. Yeah, he was about the minimum price I would have put him up at, to be honest. So there'd be some hesitancy with the the, the market <clears throat> adjustment. Um, but we are going to get 10 or 11 places, you know, or, or eight or nine or whatever it is, you know. Um, and and I like his profile for it. Now, he's a 41-year-old. He's won twice in a 10-year PGA Tour career, maybe even spanning close to 15 years now. So he doesn't look an obvious major champion. But I think the PGA has thrown enough of those up in the past. Um, and so has the Open. Uh, and I think there's no coincidence there. You know, the, the, the test is so different um, to what we get week in, week out. Uh, and Matt Jones is a two-time Australian Open winner as well, you know, beating very, very good opposition. I think he beat Oosthuizen and Spieth for those two titles. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think, you know, he, he probably has got more of a pedigree than at first may appear. Uh, he's gaining strokes through the bag this year. He's playing the best golf of his career. He's hitting the ball longer than he ever has. Um, he definitely falls into the sneaky long category. He's got a brilliant short game. Um, all those things I, I thought were, were interesting. The two final things. One, he won the Honda Classic. Um, he won it by five as well. But that's the event Rory won the same year he won this. Not only that, it's a great trial for major champions. You look down the roll of honor, almost every winner there has either won a major or nearly won a major. Even the likes of Michael Thompson, who's a, a nobody in, in this sort of sense, uh, almost won the US Open. Uh, Padraig Harrington, Ernie Els, Y.E. Yang, um, Gary Woodland, Adam Scott, all these guys who've been in the mix in the Honda um, are so regularly either major winners or, or on leaderboards at majors. And the second thing is that if if I draw that line against a Whistling Straits, the, the host venue for the 2015 and 2010 PGA Championships, well, Jones was the halfway leader in 2015. It gets forgotten because he, he had a bad third round and, and was out of the mix by the end of it. Um, but that's just another hint that he could like this course. And if he does, you've got a recent winner at 150 to 1. You know, it's only three starts since he won. He was 26 at the Masters. We're only looking for a small improvement from that on a more suitable course. And he hits the the, the places. Hard to imagine him winning, but um, I'm happy to have him on side, um, certainly to... to Give us a run for, for our money at a big price. And I, I didn't really want to play him in the top Aussie market because I am keen on Leishman. <laughs> Adam, Adam Scott generally plays well. And, and you know, Cam Smith, as, as Niall has argued, is, is rock solid too. Matt Jones there, 150 to 1, 365, bet Victor and Unibet. Um, you mentioned the top Australian markets. So we may as well go now to see any um, any of the sub-markets Ben you'll be playing in. Have you looked at any of the top nationality or anything else that you can, you can find a bit of value in? Yeah, the one I really like is top continental European. Um, so uh, yeah, half of this I'm going to really agree with now and half disagree. I, I'm kind of against John Rahm. Um, I, I just think his price is on the short side um, for where his game looks to be. I'm definitely against Victor Hovland, who's now 20 to 1, which I, I think, you know, I, I just think it's far too short. And I, I like him a lot. He's never been in the mix for a major. Um, he's never played Kiara. It's not like we've got, you know, I just think it's absurd that he's a 20 to 1 shot. You know, some firms making the same price as DJ. Um, those two take out more than 50%, well more than 50% of the top continental European book. You then have Sergio at 9-1, to one, who has not played well in the major since 2017. He's abysmal major golfer at the moment. He misses the mm. cut in virtually all of them. So all of a sudden, you've got sort of a, it's about a four to seven shot that one of those three wins it. And I'm not convinced by any of them. And you can have, it's maybe a bit filthy, um, but you, you can have a quarter <laughs> of the odds, a quarter of the odds three places. So I'm going to play Thomas Peters and Victor Perez. Because if one of them gets in that top three, you, you basically double your money. And, and I think they're both realistic winners at 20 and 25 to 1. Niles made the case for Thomas Peters. I'm a huge fan. I think he's one of those that if it did click for him, could all of a sudden take off, you know. Um, and I don't think we should underestimate how difficult it can be as a talented Belgian to have to go and play in America if you want to be the best. And maybe he's lacked for motivation at times. He's a dad now. There's all, you know, I think we... We forget the human sometimes. And for Thomas, I think probably there's been some some mental issues. Technically, I think he's a phenomenal golfer who is a putting stroke away from being world-class. Um, and the other one's Victor Perez. Uh, he's kind of fallen off the radar. He's 175 to 1 outright, which I think will tempt some. He's about 35th in the world rankings for one thing. Uh, he's a winner of the Dunhill Links. He's had two top 10s in his last three starts, but the most recent was a miscut at Augusta, so it puts us off. But those two top 10s were fourth place in the match play, TPC, uh, sorry, Austin Country Club, which is designed by Pete Dye, and top 10 at Sawgrass, also designed by Pete Dye. 
all those things point you towards him. Fourth in Saudi, Paspal and Grass is a nice little thing to add to. And there's a wild card element as well. His caddy is JP Fitzgerald, who was, of course, on the bag for Rory here in 2012. So loads of little reasons to think Perez could play well. Um, 25 to 1 top continental to European is, is the market I play him in. Niall actually makes him, I think, joint favourite with Rosner in top Frenchman. I, I think he deserves to be favourite. So uh, we'll see <laughs> how they go. Let me just look up the opening times of my local William Hill quickly. Uh, yeah, that sounds very compelling indeed, Ben. Um, Thomas Peters and Victor Perez, 20 to 1 and 22 to 1 best price with Hills, Paddy's, uh, Betfair Sportsbook, Betfred as well. Um, make a good case for that one. Niall, anything for you in those sub-markets? Add Victor Perez, top continental Europe was written down here as well, even though I'm going against one of my own selections. <laughs> I absolutely agree with Ben. I, I think he's one of the outsiders in the field that, that could be worth a few quid, you know, with the place terms as well. I was actually kind of keen on him and Weisberger, you know, just as outsiders possibly going well in this event and in the, in the top continental uh, market. Victor Perez has a lot of positives, and I was considering him, uh, considering to back him in the Masters, to be fair. Uh, last month and um, obviously he missed the cut but the results that Ben just said there obviously Sawgrass Saturday the mass play one Dunhill links second at Wentworth as well he's got such a pedigree now and you know that's he is sitting at a huge price and definitely one worth looking to in, in the extra markets one I quite like was actually top uh, Canadian this is only a three way market but uh, Mackenzie Hughes is 7-2 there uh, he won at Sea Island the coastal track just down the road uh, he was second at the Honda as well last year. As Ben mentioned, that you know it's a great sign for going well in major championships. And he has a second and third in Punta Cana on uh, Pasbalam Grass as well. Contrast that with Corey Connors, who's who's around the eight, eight to 13th favorite in that market. He's two missed cuts at Punta Cana, two missed cuts at Puerto Rico as well. All those four events being on Pasbalam Grass, and you know obviously Connors. Uh, big weakness is his putter anyway. So uh, I thought he was worth taking on in the top uh, Canadian market on 72. Mackenzie Hughes looks a decent price. I've got so, one more for you, uh, George, if you if you yes, like absolutely. it. I don't, I don't like to interrupt. The other one I like was uh, Mickelson to be the top former winner. Um, 25 to 1, quarter first three. Um, you're taking on Rory, you're taking on Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa, but Brooks Kepka clearly not fit. Um, Jason Day really out of form I think there's definite room here and, and Phil's playing a lot better than his results uh, he, he said he just needs to focus more and if anything can hold his attention it's it's the USPGA I think 25 to 1 you get past him in the market and you get into people with with very little chance um, so I think they're realistically about six winners of that and he's one of them so 25 to 1 I think I'll, I'll add that in 25 to 1 yeah it seems a massive price when you look at Keegan Bradley sitting there at 8 to 1 um, 25 to 1 uh, quarter of the odds top 3 so Three, well, I should say four with both Perez uh, and Peter's selections there in the sub-markets. I think we've kind of touched on the players to to swerve. I think Hovland seems to be the headline one. Anyone else you guys just want to point out that you couldn't have this weekend? I think Brooks has got to be a bit of a red flag. He's clearly not fit, but, you know, it's not like you can take him on at 45 to 1. I think, <laughs> and no one's going to be pressing lay on, on the yeah. exchanges. But, you know, in three balls and things like that, you, he's going to be a big name in his, his three ball, isn't he? Every chance he gets in with, say, Morikawa uh, and JT, they might put the last three PGA champions together and, and you might look for an edge there somewhere. I'm not sure where it would be, but definitely I'd look to take him on. I think the two who just look to have come into prices that are, a little bit on the short side of probably um, Berger and Hovland. Uh, they, they both have solid credentials, but uh, I don't think they're quite entitled to their prices. But um, yeah, it's not easy to necessarily oppose them. I'd just be not so interested in them. I feel like with Hovland, if if you looked at the course and you drew up a short list without looking at prices, Hovland would be pretty near the top of the list. But personally, I wouldn't be kicking myself if you watched him win at 20 to 1 on, on Sunday evening. The thing for me is, and I, I don't want to harp on about it, even though I am. Um, I put him up at fifty. I put him up at fifties in December, right? It's my only good anti-post position, so I'm not crowing because the rest of the anti-post selections. I put up Matt Wolf for the U.S. Open. He's not even going to play. Um, so it's not that, but he's gone from fifty to now twenty and eighteen to one without winning. Uh, and I don't think you have to win to demonstrate that you've improving or whatever. But I don't think we've learned much more about Victor Hovland since since December. Um, I think people are getting carried away with the Paspalum thing. Both of his wins are on Paspalum grass, but um, I think more to the point, both of his wins are in 
pretty average tournaments and he's got to go and do it at this level yet and uh, he's, he's plenty short enough you know comparing to morikawa is is you know he's a good way ahead of him at the moment um yeah. and he's he's almost twice the price on the exchanges so yeah uh, he wouldn't be for me no are there any for you just uh to put up as a fade i wasn't that keen on dustin but you know ben puts up a, a great case for him particularly, you know, the withdrawal from the event last week, you know, Ben could have hit the nail on the head there, that, you know, you know, he's seen, he seen the bad weather forecast, you know, in Texas and, and, and thought to swerve it, and probably a good decision to swerve it in the end, uh, could have been going to a Monday finish for all, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I wasn't that keen on Dustin, but at the same time, Ben has made a very good living in the last 12 months off backing the, t- the best players in the game drifting out to 20 to 1 plus and 30 to 1 this, these kind of prices that he's back DJ out winning events and, and this that and the other so yeah I totally don't blame him for, for putting up but uh, he makes a great case for him but he he just really wasn't for me and Sanders Schofler fits the bill for me you know he, he's obviously got the the open championship form that I'm looking to and he, a great profile for a PGA winner as well but slightly shorter short in the market especially given uh, how he's closed events, you know, in, in the in the last six to twelve months mm-hmm. hasn't been totally convincing, and you know he just hasn't drifted the back of on Mark uh, to include him, and I, I just think he's a bit. He, he's going to be all the raids in the in the next couple of years. He's going to be that Brand Snedeker type golfer that everyone was backing for. You know, all the mug punters were backing for years, probably before he wins a major. So, uh, yeah, he's just sitting. He, he, you really want forty or fifty to one about him to win a major at the minute, but. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much to both Niall and to Ben. Fingers crossed one of you or maybe even both of you will be happy come Sunday evening. Anybody watching or listening to this, do follow them both uh, on Twitter. Do check out all of the content they'll be producing over the course of the week. We are blessed to have guys producing such great golf betting stuff uh, as these two do. So thank you very much for them for that and for joining us today. Do download the Odds Checker app, as I mentioned, for all the best prices, the best bookie offers, the best place terms, uh, Niles tips, not just for the major tournaments, but every weekend's golf as well. So hopefully a couple of winners in there, definitely some value. Uh, do enjoy the golf and most importantly please do gamble responsibly 